Welcome to episode 13 of In the Abyss Metal Podcast. Um, we're still here, we're still doing it. Uh, we're back to normal this week um, after last week's escapades with Steve Hughes, which uh, we very much enjoyed recording, so I hope you enjoyed listening. If you haven't already listened, please go back and check it out. Uh, it'll be worth two hours of your life, believe me. It was a really good laugh. Um, this week, it's uh, it's the usual sorts of thing, going off on many, many weird tangents, as we often do, um, including postmodernism and butter on bread so it's not always about metal but it mostly is um enjoy it's fucking 38 degrees here today fucking hell look it was 25 degrees here on wednesday so you know yeah but the thing is right in it in, I, I don't know why but in, in I, and I, I, I was reading a, 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 a facebook page or forum page a while ago and i saw a lot of people from like spain and France and other countries saying there's something about the heat in the UK. So it's not like, oh, 25, that's nothing. 25, 28, 30 in the UK is really bad for some reason. Yeah. I don't know what it is. If it's, if it's the, if it's a combination of the humidity or you're just not used to it or there's, there's something, but like if people, are, if people that are coming from hot countries are saying, look, it, it might not be 38, but it's still fucking balls out hot. There must be something about it. It's the same with the cold because it's damp. It always feels colder than it is. Yeah, the worst thing for me is like when when you when you've got that kind of heat, um, like let's say it's thirty degrees. The, because all the houses in the UK have got insulation at night, it's a fucking oven. Yeah, yeah. At least say we've got like you know big balcony doors to pull open and. French blinds and all that palaver and stone floors, and no no insulation. Which means in the winter it's fucking it's cold. <laughs> no, no radiators, nothing like that. You must have little heaters or something to keep you warm. No, no, nothing. I mean, there's um, there's a hot air blower on the air conditioning unit, but that's just like turning on a hair dryer. Um, it just fucking eats electricity, so there's no point. Anyway, mm. what have you been um, what have you been listening to this week, other than you know, in, in between your um naked forays into the sea? Well, I, was, I was, you know, off the back of last week's episode, been listening to, uh, you know, Creator, Sodom, Agent Orange, um, the first Creator album, which I can't remember the name of. I just put it on. It's pretty good. Oh, Place That's... in Hell or something. Yeah, and I found a really cheesy, you know, like a very, very run-of-the-mill, like derivative 80s thrash band called Paradox, and the album is called Heresy. <laughs> and it's just like it's not it's not good but it's not bad it, it, it's very you know it, it, you know it's like you know if you if you take like the big four as being like the kind of gold standard and then you boil that down to the next rung but then you boil that down and then you boil it down again you've got <laughs> it's like, like a corporate very generic thrash um you know let, let's 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 call let's call the album heresy and let's like talk about um the Cathars and the Crusades and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, okay. Um, yeah. And there's like uh, the first track on the album is called Burn at the Stake. So, you know, guess what that's about. It's, it's um, like Crash 101 then, isn't it? It is. It's, 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 there's no, there's a few good riffs in there. They're the kind of band that maybe if you were in the scene, you would have gone and like, you know, seen at a bar or, or a, you know, small venue maybe, but you know, nothing, nothing to write home about. They, um, they remastered Heresy for its 30th anniversary and re-released it. 
So it must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The artwork's shocking as well. That it does look like it is pretty, like pretty pants. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's very low budget. It's going, it's going to go on the playlist this week though. It has to. I'm all, yeah. I'm always all ears for a bit of low rent thrash. And I've also been listening to um, the Legacy by Testament, New Order, and The Gathering. So those three albums by Testament. Uh, Disciples of the Watch is a cracking tune. You know, I, I rarely listen to like the the middle of Testament's career. Practice what you preach. I listen to a lot, but the rest of it, I hardly ever, hardly ever pay much attention to. Weirdly, it's, it's just... quite, it's, it's quite, it's quite funny how the first album is called The Legacy because it's your first album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what legacy are you referring to? Blowing their load a bit. The second album is New Order. And that's a good album. And the third album, I think, is it's the Gathering. And the practice what you preach comes after that, I think. I think it comes after that, yeah. Don't know. Yeah, I think so. I, I, like I said, I'm not all that all that clued up on on like the timeline, but they they did have a bit of a dip in the nineties, didn't they? Testament. Some of the stuff wasn't great. Well, they did what a lot of other um, bands did, and they tried to like branch out and you know try something new because. But you know the the scene the scene has burnt itself out. Yeah, true. By, well, I mean like the. The swan song for thrash at the end of the eight nineties, not at the end of the eighties and the beginning of the nineties, was the Clash of the Titans tour. That was like that was the zenith. It was never going to get any bigger than that. No, no, it probably wasn't. No, because Metallica had gone commercial, and, and everyone else was going to follow suit, weren't they? It's... I mean, what a bill, though. I mean, I got Suicidal Tendencies, Testament, Anthrax, Megadeth, and Slayer on the same bill, and Alice and Chain supported. Yeah, it was Test Testament were on the um, European leg and Anthrax were on the yeah. um, uh, American tour and Suicidal Tendencies were on the European leg but Alice in Chains were on the American I remember having a poster of it on my bedroom wall just like an A4 one that taken out of a magazine just thinking fucking hell you know those bands all at their peak you know? yeah I know some people that went to see them on that tour so even the name of the tour in it Clash of the Titans it just brilliant brilliant yeah, it was perfect. I know we had a few other few package tours and that afterwards, but it was never the same. The uh, ill-fated tattoo of the planet. So yeah, okay. Practice what you preach was nineteen eighty nine. Okay. In this, in the space of two and a half years, Testament put out like three albums. But that was the way, though, wasn't it? Bands did put out they, they put out material a lot quicker back then than they do these days. So it was just the norm. Yes, yeah, so that, so that was first six albums in three years, four years. The Legacy was 87, New Order 88, Practice What You Preach 89, Souls of a Black 1990. So in, in three years, they put four albums up. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you know, but they've got to back up that legacy. They've got to create it quickly. Otherwise, they have to change the name of the first album. I think their material now is probably some of their strongest stuff. The last couple of albums have been really good. They're very heavy and meaty. They're not, you know, like overly fast, but they're, they're I like, yeah, they, they're really good albums. And what about you? Seems you, you know, getting angry with public transport this week. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, Creator um, as well. Uh, the first album, which is called Endless Pain, gave that a bash. Yeah, the, the, the band have mostly eluded me so far, so I need to correct that. But the um, also the, the new one, Hate Uber Alice, which Jeez. is, yeah, pretty decent. Yeah, that's got, that's got some heavy stuff there, so I'll be gradually listening to more of them but I'll, I'll probably wrap that up when I start listening to a load of other German thrash bands that I'm um, 
not too familiar with at this stage. Um, Death Leopard? are definitely the, the, the standout German thrash band. The, the, other, the other two big ones don't really come close for me. No. Like, like I say, it's, uh, you know, I want to try see what I've been missing with Accept and uh, Sodom and others. Destruction. It's too much, yeah. Yeah, Def Leppard. So I'm enjoying the new album. Um, I know it's a bit yeah. dodgy Def Leppard in places, but yeah, it's probably, yeah, I can believe it's the best album in 30 years. Just good. Yeah. Def Leppard courses. Simple as that. And I've, I've also just been rinsing Pyromania in recent weeks. It's just... It's just it's it's just a big, big old feel good album that that you know it's I mean yes it's very very produced and whatnot and it's it's dated but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing with, with that word it's 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 of its time and it was it was a photograph of, of, a, yeah. of a particular point in time but it's um, yeah there's just something about it that's just really really uplifted me in recent times. Um, you can say it's dated and and, and it's. You know, and going about the production, but yeah, again, like you said, it's of its time, isn't it? That's that's what that's what polished hard rock and heavy metal sounded like then. So, you know, yeah. it's of its time. I think I think there's a um, you know we had a we had our session about album openers a few weeks back, and yeah, potentially album closures because obviously a lot of closers are maybe either long or they're a bit bit of an afterthought, and they're not always great. It's, it's definitely a What's your favourite album closer? And I think Billy's Got a Gun would be up there for me. It's just not a bad shout. That's definitely a hard, that's definitely a harder one to yeah to nail down that. Um, so yeah, yeah, really doing that. Uh, also, Reckless Love, yeah. um, who Bones from uh, Tailgunner mentioned um, a couple of weeks back. Yeah, obviously you mentioned years ago, and I lost track of them. But, but yeah, it's it's um, yeah, a new album, Turbo Rider. It's it's a bit simple wave influenced it's not you know it's it's very very minimalist in that regards i think they've gone for the imagery and the yeah. basic synth sound more than anything just just to sort of enhance enhance what they've done but um yeah it's it's good it's good fun and i mean there is one track that sounds like a you know surf surf pop song from the year 2000 it's a bit <laughs> it's a bit out of place um but it seems it it, it it seems to be what i seem to be okay at it but um yeah, no, it's, it's it's just good fun. Again, it's got that sort of, uh, you know, 80s, 80s fun vibe. Uh, and also Heavy Sentence, who I was digging. Oh, yeah. yeah. Again, one of these, one of these current British bands who are very new wave of British, um, in a lot of ways, singer, almost a dead ringer for Lemmy. Otherwise, they've got a lot of the, those classic sounds back down. Again, nothing groundbreaking. Um, album artwork's very, um, very rudimentary, black yeah. and white. Um, but it's, um, yeah, they do it well, and um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just good, solid retro metal. It doesn't need to be groundbreaking, though, does it? it just needs to be good fucking song, good music. Yeah, exactly. Like Padre said before, you know, if you haven't got the riff, you've got fuck all, really. It's got to start somewhere. Yeah. If- I, I have also been listening to the uh, original Top Gun soundtrack a lot. Nice. I saw the film, the new film, which was just great fun. And uh, yeah, they used a lot of the old, uh, well, not, they used some of the older songs in, in ways, but. Um, what's yeah. the rest, what's the rest of the music like in the new film? I haven't watched it yet. Please tell me that, that it's got a similar kind of vibe to it. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's Harold Faltermeyer who, 
you know, co-composed the original yeah. score, getting together with Hans Zimmer and just epicking it, epicking it up, it up, and it works. Um, but most of it is sort of it is sort of old school Top Gun. There, there is there is a big ballad by Lady Gaga which kind of kicks in and doesn't quite feel right. If I'm honest with you, it's a bit. I, I dare dare I say it feels a bit. It feels a bit woman's woman's movie. Um, right. Okay. If I'm honest with you, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. That might be a bit of a controversial thing, but it, <laughs> it, it doesn't really. It, it feels like no. It's a big great song for a big epic, you know, woman power movie. But for Top Gun, which is it's mostly blokes flying planes, um, but it's a bit of a, you know, it's still got a bit of that sort of testosterone to it. Then it doesn't really seem to fit. Whereas I don't know, take my breath away. Did it seemed to just be just fit in a bit better? Yeah, it was a power ballad in the age of the power ballad, wasn't it? So it was, yeah, yeah, it fit right. And it's, you know, I don't it's, know. Um, it, I think this, yeah, this this Lady Gaga songs felt a bit more. I don't know, um, Celine Dion Titanic. I'm honest with you. Oh, for fuck's sake. So, yeah. Apart from that, yeah, great, great fun. Um, yeah, just a film that really sort of kept the vibe of the original quite well and if you um, continue the storyline. Yeah. I, I need I need to see it. I mean, I, I won't see it now until I, I can watch it at home. I won't get to the cinema, but I need to see it. It's only... I don't think there's been a movie in recent years that's had so many good reviews. No, no one's got anything bad to say about it. They've done what they intended to do and they've done it well. So you know what what fucking happened to the movie soundtrack? It just doesn't really exist anymore, does it? No, no. I can't when was, when was the last movie you saw that had a good soundtrack to it? Fuck like an yeah. actual proper soundtrack. I, I I dread to think, to be honest. It's I think that's a conversation that's a conversation in itself, really. Um I wonder if Marvel have maybe caused a bit of a problem in some ways by by how they focused on on their films, which I think are quite positive in other ways because they're so far a lot of their films are focused on old music. So if you look at the Iron Man films, there's just loads of ACDC and yeah. the Black Sabbath. Um, you've got Guardians of the Galaxy, which is just seventies pop and a little bit of early eighties. I think the third film is going to delve into maybe the nineties because he's characters been given a zoom um mp3 player um i don't know um i mean the spider-man films are basically new wave and late 70s punk i mean for christ's sake there was a flock of seagulls track on the on one of the films <coughs> Chad Kroger. Captain, yeah captain captain marvel was 90s alternative yeah garbage and no doubt and elastica and whatnot a bit of nirvana and it's it's all older stuff. And as much as for me, I'm, I'd be quite happy that kids are maybe actually discovering old music through these films. Yes, yeah. they might not have been exposed to. I'm, you know, that I'm really pleased about that. There hasn't been a great deal. They haven't focused on new stuff. They've got they've got their scores. They've got their orchestral stuff. But there isn't. But they're not making new songs or, or collating albums, soundtrack albums, in the way that films have done in the past. I mean, the, the new series, Ms. Marvel, which, you know, is very, very Muslim focused and, and, and does that very well. I think this is the first time I've heard stuff that's pop, current pop, like The Weeknd and, and other bits and pieces that I've heard on the radio. And I think it's the first time Marvel have really 
embraced that in any of their stuff in recent times. And I think they're missing a trick because, you know, you could do modern stuff. It doesn't, you know, whatever, whatever genre it is. Um, and they're arguably the biggest, biggest company making movies at the moment. And um, yeah, like you say, because, yeah, because they're, they're the biggest. That's what people are paying yeah. Then, and know. I think, yeah, like you say, there, there's, there's, it's a lost art at the moment. I, maybe it's because there's been more of a focus on scores, big scores, getting yeah. decent vinyl, vinyl things, and some of them are great. Don't get me wrong. Well, Carpenter Brute did the um, did the score to that Blood Machines film, didn't they? Um, yeah, and, and that was that was kind of like a, you know, almost. But that like was a just a, that was just a movie score. It's not like it was a great soundtrack. It was just a good movie score. So I suppose yeah. it's a bit different. I mean, there are loads. I mean, you know, there's so many small labels, you know, that focus on uh, movie scores and, uh, you know, synthy stuff or, or whatnot. And it's, fo it's, it's usually focused on indies and horrors and bits and bobs. But yeah, the, the, the creation of the actual song soundtrack has, has dropped off. But maybe, maybe that's saying something about current pop music. That's uh, more like lights and streaming. They, if kids aren't, listening to albums excuse me in the way we did maybe there isn't any um market for it even though films you know individual songs can get massive on films just becomes a playlist yeah isn't it? i don't know yeah. so uh, i um i um i gave spirit box a go for the first time this week because I, I i'd heard of them and i've heard some of the hype around them and they played Download a couple of weeks ago, first ever UK show, and there was quite a lot of fuss around it, and apparently they were incredible and all this kind of stuff. So I gave them a listen. Um, it's good. I, I enjoyed it. I haven't really got my head around it yet. Some, the vocals, her vocals are sometimes are amazing, but I don't quite get all the fuss around them because they're being hailed as some kind of second coming of something really special. I don't know. Maybe I just need to give it a bit of time, but... Padre, they're not on your street at all. And they might be on yours. I don't know. What's the... Uh, uh, yeah, looking at the... Week. What are you now? There's some kind of gatekeeper about what I might or might not like. They are definitely not up your street. <laughs> I don't shit which street they're up. You know, <laughs> let, me form, let me form my own opinion. What I mean, are they uh, Spirit Box. Okay, I mean, yeah, so the, the, my street. Wikipedia mentions post-metal and gent, so I'm thinking, maybe... Yeah, uh, that. it's it's. I suppose to. I, I can't even. I suppose you could see you could see them on tour with a band like Architects or someone like that. It's, it's that sort of new take on on metal, but it is. They are quite unique, to be fair. I'll give them that, but I I, I don't quite get why there's such a big fuss. But there is, so you know. But I'll keep listening. I'll, I'll, there's only one album, and I think they just released two or three new songs as well, but. Um, I'll, I'll keep trying. I'll give it the car test one day, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and because uh, that—that's yeah, that's that's a telltale, isn't it? If if when you you, you know you're plowing off down the motorway and, and and it works for that, then then it'll be good. So, um, bit of classic Tokyo Blade this week. Very underrated band, new British heavy metal band. Um, good fun. Toxic Holocaust, a thrash band that I hadn't really paid any attention to since the last album came out, which was one of my albums of the year in 20 years. Yeah, Top Scholar, of course. Uh, yeah, completely forgot about them. Um, and uh, and a bit of Priest after our um, discussion via Twitter that rounded down is some of Priest's strongest work. 
I probably need to give it more of a listen. To be fair, it's kind of you know I've kind of, it's just because I've probably focused on other albums which 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 get better better press. Um, but it's you know it's an eighties priest album, so I'll, I'll no doubt love it if I gave it more time. Um, it's Blood Red Skies. I fucking love that song, and I don't know the rest of the album. Just just I I do think it's one of their best bodies of work. So fuck you. <laughs> I'm sort of just looking at some of the press on the 70s stuff which is what i've been focusing on more lately with priest um and it, it always seems like you know you know sound wings of destiny is always hailed as a as a big album and it's yeah it's okay it's you know it's a big deal with metal with the sound and its approach yeah um, i'm not sure it's got enough good songs on it to be you know one of the, the 70s classics that it's sometimes made out to be but yeah i mean it, it's certainly a, a key point in metal history oh, it's, it's um, pivotal massively yeah um I, th I think my favorites to be honest from that decade are probably i think first killing machine i i you know it's probably regarded as a bit too commercial or, or, or whatnot and maybe maybe not metal enough I, I disagree i think it's just there's no bad songs on it it's just good good consistent you know metal anthemic all along i i and i said i think if, i think it's better than british steel um which i think is a bit up and down it's good but it's just not not great well you, you made the valid point that british steel is held up by the, the couple of hit singles isn't it yeah yeah absolutely that's, that's why people uh, look at it that way same with number of the beast and maiden isn't it? yeah i mean that's not even the album that broke them in america that was screaming for vengeance yeah which is up i would probably say is their best album for stop um overall it's yeah yeah it's, probably, yeah it's probably their most i suppose the most consistent start to finish yeah quality songs isn't it yeah I, I can see that yeah killing machine and i think as well i i really do like sin after sin i think it's it just sort of blends a really good rawness with with the metal stuff that they sort of try trying to um, progress i don't know stained class gets a lot of good press but for me it just feels a bit it felt like they were sort of taking their foot off the gas and not trying as hard or they weren't yeah. too sure where to go i don't know i very rarely go back through the priest back catalog to be honest it's, it's only the fact that that you you piped up that i thought oh you know give some of the others a go but they have got so much good material but there's also yeah. a little bit of dross thrown in the mix there is i was listening to a bit of firepower earlier at work today um that's supposed to be fairly solid you know what i haven't i've, I've not really listened to that be honest yeah fire, firepower firepower's had some good press i think we're all burnt by nostradamus yeah um so terrible idea for an album <laughs> have an entire concept album based on nostradamus it's like once you get you know big enough again it's like just losing uh touch of reality it's like it's art for art's sake you know like surely someone in, in there like contrast should have said look Bob, Mate, I don't think this is a good idea. You can't write an entire album about the the ramblings of a you know early modern monk. You know, it's he's not that big a deal. You know, and we'll um we'll come back to concept albums in a minute because there's potentially one of the all time great concept albums out later this year. You know, it could be an absolute groundbreaker. So we can either talk about we can either talk about that, or we can talk about the shit show that is America at the minute. Well, I want to say, before we get to that, 
what I'd like to decide, what is going on with these rail strikes? Well, I'll let, well, I mean, if it's over money, it's over job losses, the usual things that a strike is about. So, yeah, it, it's like going back to the 70s and 80s. Every motherfucker's going on strike because one organisation go on strike, they get what they want, they get results, so everyone else follows suit. And that's going to be the pattern now over the next probably 12 months. I, I'm not I'm not particularly keen on that analogy. I don't think it's like the 70s and the 80s because the unions were a lot stronger then. But you've yeah. also, got to, also got to take into consideration the fact that in the 70s and the 80s, actually in the 60s too, the unions and the TUC had more actual political support. Yeah. And what the hell? Labour Party is doing at the minute. I have no idea. You're either you're either affiliated with the unions and you support them, or you don't. This, it's this almost beating, like Labour choosing to sit on the fence. This, yeah, this beating around the bush, and and then saying, "Oh, we, we don't know why people in like the Midlands in the North in the red wall seats voted Tory at the last election. It's because of this. You don't support them. You you talk a good game, but you don't actually support them. And that is your core." Um, support not upper middle class, lower middle class voters. Yes, you need them to win an election, but your core support, your your the essence of your being is defending and upholding the rights and the, the interests of the working class. And they've moved they've moved too far away from that. I'm not saying they have to be completely like partisan and extremist in terms of the unions, but. They they need to they need to represent the the, the needs and interests of that of, of that group of people, the, the people on zero hour contracts, the train workers who are getting shafted, you know things like this, and they need to call out. I'm sorry, from what I've seen, they need to call out the the, the mainstream media for trying to control the conversation and cutting people off and not letting certain people speak. It's ridiculous because they're just and you can clearly see an agenda is being pushed. And it's not the agenda of the trade unions. And I don't, and I think that any any reference to the 1970s of the winter of discontent, which is what they used to hit Corbyn over the head with, even though I wasn't necessarily a huge Corbyn fan, were and like trying to conjure up these images of like you know, dead bodies piled up in the streets, the morticians were on strike, and the, the mountains were rubbish and stuff like that. That's never gonna happen again. Or that very likely, very unlikely to happen again. That was if that was a um, a maelstrom of events in the 1970s that, that, that um, transpired. We do see elements of that now, but in terms of the stagflation, we're, we're heading towards stagflation. We're going to have a recession and we're going to have high inflation. And that's always linked to gap to energy prices because it was the same thing in the 1970s when OPEC put the price of oil up because of the Israeli and Arab conflicts. And, and we've got a dickhead in charge. That's, that's the problem. But I, you know, I, I think... I think they've got every right to go out and strike. I don't think what they're asking for is unreasonable. And I think this narrative of they're looking to undermine the, the British society. And, and I, I mean, what did I see the other day? Richard Madeley accusing the head of the RMIT, Mike Lynch, about, oh, are you a Marxist? Are you looking to overthrow capitalism? No, no one's looking to overthrow capitalism. What they want is a fair wage. And you've got to have, in, in a free market economy, you have to have some friction between organized labor and industry. And you can't have a system where one side repeatedly wins. There has to be friction and there has to be sufficient compromise, sensible compromise. 
And that's not what's happening at the minute. And because Thatcher and Blair, to be honest, and the last Conservative government, they chipped away at the unions. And now all they're left with is, is the option to strike because they don't have collective bargaining anymore. So across, across the, the spectrum. That's my two cents anyway. And that was this week's Padre's Political Corner. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening. You can uh, now go back to Radio 4. Uh, and, and we'll go back to talking about the new Machine Head album, because that's the next great concept album. I'm sorry. What the fuck is going on in America? In the same week they strike down Roe v. Wade, they've also upheld um, a decision to allow people to carry concealed weapons in, yeah. in New York. That, yeah. okay, this is, my, this is my, my take on it. This is not something that's happened recently this is this is a long game that's been played by certain elements of the republican party and this is going all the way back to the early 1980s when the democrats and the ted kennedy and biden who's on the judiciary committee they um rejected reagan's um judicial nomination to the supreme court um i can't remember his name but uh and mitch mcconnell was a junior senator at that time and he he made the decision then that he was going to start a movement in order to handpick judges and push them towards nominations. And, that, and it was, it's, this is linked to an electoral plan. It goes back to the contract with America under Newt Gingrich in the 1990s of holding this, and this idea of the culture war. But there's the Federalist Society in the US, and it's a conservative judicial society. And these, these, this is the organization that is putting forward these nominations for the Supreme Court, and not just the Supreme Court, the Circuit Court of Appeals and the Appellate Court. So basically the, the judicial system in America has been overrun with conservatives and they're pushing an agenda. And they're using the, they're using the judicial system in America at the moment to do what they can't do in Congress. And, it's, and, and you're, look, you're, you're dealing with people who are life appointees. They can't get rid of these people until they die. That's, that's the only way you get them off the Supreme Court and, and the uh, Court of Appeals. And the appellate division, sorry. So this is this has been long planned. This is not something that's happened in the last five or six years. This has been this is the, the fruition of a very insidious strategy by the Republicans to tip the balance of that court and tip the balance of the judicial system to their favour. And it's the it's the will of the minority being supported by the judiciary to impose their belief systems on the will of the majority. And it's disgraceful. How the hell is the American government supposed to go around anywhere else in the world with any kind of moral leadership and tell countries in the developing world that you have to support women's rights when a woman in America can't get an abortion? So, like, it really cracks me up that you've got people in the American government and people on the right who are so obsessed with this idea that government is too big and government needs to be smaller. Yeah, small enough to fit inside a woman's vagina. That's how small you want your fucking government to be. So let's control a woman's body, but let's not impose any kind of legislation or fucking gun control. It's asinine. It's what, it's what Steve was saying last week, Steve Hughes. America is being dismantled. Why do they think why do they, think they want to have fucking guns? They want people to be shooting each other. And this is not 1861 again, where everyone's got a Springfield rifle. You know, it's ridiculous. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very topical, so it's, it's always worth bringing up. It is a fucking, it's an absolute shit state. But um, should we talk about Machine Head now? Yeah, go on then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you, 
I'm going to read you a, uh, a little blurb, which, um, which will give you, give you the idea of, of what to expect from their, uh, their concept album. So um, Unhallowed, the song, we, we've all listened to that this week. We'll come back to that. So the concept album is called Of Kingdom and Crown. And it's a 13 track, 13 track concept album set in a decimated futuristic wasteland where the sky is stained crimson red. The crux of the story is based on two main characters. The first and main character is Ares, who loses the love of his life, Amethyst, and goes on a murderous rampage against the vile sect responsible for her murder. The second character is the perpetrator, Arrows, who loses his mother to a drug overdose, <laughs> I'm sensing a theme, and becomes radicalised in the aftermath. Arrows goes off the deep end, off the deep end, manifesting his own killing spree. And the lyrics detail how all their lives intertwine. So fucking all of that in a machine head album. So it's all yours. So firstly, uh, Ares as in A-R-E-S, Greek God of War. Oh, Ares, yeah. Ares, Ares, yeah. Right. And then, then the other one was Amethyst. Yeah, and Amethyst. Then one, and then the other one was Arrows. Eros. So you've got Eros, E-R-O-S, God of Love. Yeah. yeah. And then Ares, R-E-S, God of War. Yeah. So someone's just bought him like the Penguin Kids book of Greek gods. So they're <laughs> like, it doesn't work. I mean, it, it sounds a bit like some kind of like emo Fear Factory album. It's just, it's just always this dystopian wasteland, this futuristic wasteland. I mean, why do you write an album about the present? Why are we why why are we needing to conjure up images of some kind of dystopian wasteland? We're living in one. Maybe that's what he's trying to say. It could be worse. Oh, that, that, that. <laughs> it could be worse, yeah. But the the thought of a machine ed concept album, that alone I'm struggling with. Could they have could, could Machine Head do another concept album and the concept is about about a band that can write music? Maybe like the concept is uh, Flynn. Not Rob Flynn, Flynn. The main character is called Flynn. <laughs> the, the second character is called Rock. Okay. And the third character is called Ohm, which is a play on the word emo. And that they're, they're walking around a city trying to make it as a band. Rock is the producer. Ohm is like the, uh, the love interest. And Flynn is the uh, angry young man who realises that in order for him to become big, he actually has to learn how to play his instrument and write a song properly without screaming. How about that? Yeah, but the problem is when Rob, hit, Rob Flynn sings clean, it's fucking terrible. I mean, and you listened to Unhallowed, didn't you? And his vocals just... Ugh. I just... Why? I mean, it's... The whole thing was just a turgid, bloated mess of a song. I just, I, 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 I struggled. I struggled to think it was Machine Head. I really did. It's like he's trying to pull off some kind of grandiose epic. The, no. the thing is, what what pisses me off, you know, I know, I know, we talked about their, you know, how they went a bit skew with, you know, in ninety nine, two thousand, um, but they came back. I mean, the, the, you know, the Blackening was a tremendous album, and they did a, you know, he could do Ernest. He could do that kind of sort of um, heartfelt melody and stuff like Halo. 
Yeah. Slow down. It's, you know, and even onto, onto the Locust was decent as well. But they just, it just feels like they stagnated a bit. And it's, I don't know, it's a concept album about, like I say, something we've heard enough times with Fear Factory and some sort of cod rainbow stuff. It, it just, it sounds like they, he's just, doesn't have any ideas. I, I just, I just, I just think for some. A, a concept album is like, it's like when you, it's like when you've been married for a long time, right? And you know things are going a bit stale in the bedroom, and you're like, what should we try next? You know, are we going to try bondage? Are we going to try anal? You know, are we going to try some form of like you know, uh, BDSM? You know, and it's like, you know, you 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 reach for new things in order to like jazz things up a bit, right? Where it's like, a, you know, a band like Machine, and it's like they're sat around going like, we need to do something to kickstart the career. What can we do? And someone goes, I know, a concept album. And it's like, it's like that. It's, it's like, it's, it always seems to be bands do concept albums when they're reaching for something, when they're, when they're desperate, when they, when, when that, you know, kind of like the journey's almost at an end and they need, they either want to go out on a high or they want to kind of come up with this like grandiose piece of work, you know, a magnum opus as it were. But they just don't have the skills to put it off. I mean, right, I mean, this is the thing, right? Just could you say something like Justice for All is a concept album? Not necessarily a concept, I suppose a, a very strong <laughs> theme. Concept the thing, is... It's much easier to write an album that's got a, 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 um, a clear theme to it, a thematic yeah. work. So stick to that. That works because you can have a very clear theme to it. I mean, there, and there are loads of bands that do that kind of stuff. And they have like, they, they're like, the entire album will be about something that's happening around at the time or. You know, but yeah, like, I think, a concept album has got to tell a story from start to finish, isn't it? Does it have to tell a story though? Does a concept album have to tell a story? It, it does really. It, 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 it does really. Otherwise, it is just a theme, and there's got to be a something running all the way through it where it is more than a theme. It is telling a story, and there's characters and all that kind of thing, rather than just being about a particular subject matter. I mean, I I'm trying to think off the top of my head of of metal concept albums. I've I got to be honest, nothing's really standing out. That's I would consider good, and you're probably a bit more. This is probably a bit more up your street, but I can't think of anything. I mean, Seven Silent Seven Silent is a concept album, so yeah. I mean, I believe it or not, I've still never listened to Operation Mindcrime. I need to. Neither have I. Uh, Twenty One Twelve was a concept album, but yeah. But like, okay. it's, not, it's not metal, is it? So, but the, the, this is the thing, though. This is why I think I, I don't necessarily think that a concept album necessarily has to be or should be a story because like for example if you take an opera an opera tells a story and it's and it's a, it's a, it's a complete piece of work like an album is but no one no one got no one says oh it's a concept opera it's just an opera so what is it con- what what's what's the concept that is saying that this sets this takes place in a futuristic wasteland is that a concept or is that just a narrative. No, it's, it's a narrative, it's a theme, but a concept album, like, like Rob Flynn is trying to do, I suppose, by bringing in these characters and a story between these characters, and that's what, that's, that's the point he's trying to get across, I think, to make like, it. A concept album would be like, for example, if let's say you wrote, let's say a band wrote about money, the concept of, or the concept of power, or the concept of wealth, or the concept of, or the construction, construct as it were that that would be something more akin to what i what i would say argue concept album 
you know, I mean, again, I mean, like I haven't, I've only heard bits of Nostradamus, and I've, you know, I've read reviews where it's got panned, but that, it's, that, that Nostradamus album is not necessarily like a story about his life, is it? It's about the concept of Nostradamus, like yeah. being able to predict the future. That's a concept, the concept of predicting the future. So it's like, it's like he's trying to, Rob Flynn here, or another bands that have done this, it's like they're trying to, they're trying to tell a story, um, and they, in like in the in the sense of um, like they're trying to tell a folk tale or a myth or a legend in in terms of like the Arthurian legend or Beowulf or one of the great sagas of uh, of, of Scandinavia or something like a Wagner, for example. So I, I just don't think is concept album the right tag to put to it, or is it? Would you just call it a story album? Like if. if- Flynn is calling it a concept album, so let's let's have a look at a quick look at a ten best metal concept albums. Can't it's the first thing that's come up on on Google, and I know this is lazy, but it's 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 got to be worth a look. I mean, yeah, Operation Mindcrime is in there. Seventh Son of the Seventh Son is in there. Wasp, The Crimson Idol, um, Blind Guardian, Nightfall in Middle Earth. I mean, most of Blind Guardian's career is about fucking Mordor. So let's come back to that. Yeah, sorry, Mastodon, Blood Mountain. Um, the album deals with the struggle of climbing Blood Mountain to find the Crystal Skull, which will remove the reptilian brain and allow for the next step of human evolution. See, that probably is more of a concept, isn't it? That does make sense. It's all based yeah. based around that, so that that makes sense. Opus Still Life apparently is a concept album. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm going to do it. Dream Theater Metropolis Part Two: Scenes from a Memory. I was trying not to save him, but there you go. It's been a ruse just to get that into the podcast. Would it be, yeah. possible, would it be possible to have a conversation about concept albums without bringing up Dream Theatre? Not mean, really, no. Um, I mean, it's, it's like if, 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 a, if a prog rock or prog metal band hasn't made a concept album, then it's like they're not allowed to be called prog. No, 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 you're not prog. You've never written a concept album, you know? I think what's kind, kind of just, just struck me about this this new Machine Head track, actually. And this is going to sound really harsh and really hypocritical coming from me. But there was a moment in the video where one of the other band members, well, I mean, you know, maybe there were many times, but we got a glimpse of one of the other band members playing guitar and he was wearing glasses. And it kind of made me think, I don't often see metal metal guitarists or band members in videos wearing glasses you see that in pop punk bands and you know occasionally you know other bits and bobs not face no more wacky wacky bands but not metal bands you know even if they do wear glasses in their own time they don't tend to wear them in videos yeah you might see it in like like footage from studios and backstage yeah exactly and it just seemed it it just Obviously, like I say, I'm a bespectacled nerd who, you know, certainly doesn't have the the stature of a lot of these metal guitarists. But it just seemed just to sort of bring a sort of certain chilled out, weird vibe to it, because it's just something you just don't see. Um, and it kind of it just removed me from maybe what they were trying to do or even their the aggression that they normally have in their music. I don't know, it's a weird one. It just... Maybe it's just something I'm not used to. That's an interesting take, and I see your point though. He, he, he did he did appear a few times, just kind of 
not doing a great deal, but just like a shot of his face. And, you know, I don't, it's not really a proper video though, is it? It's kind of like a... Yeah, it's, it's, like it's more like a... Yeah, it's a studio jam. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's a bizarre one. Um, yeah, they're sort of playing in some sort of, sort of small, um, cosy pub. Yeah, it's about wall. Well, I don't, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's just the whole, the track's just rubbish. And the whole vibe of the video just is just weird. And I'm strong, I'm also struggling to equate it with a concept album about, you know, Greek, Greek gods in a, Weird dystopian future. Well, let's let's stop giving Rob Flynn some that because it seems to be happening week on week. Maybe we'll have to veto Rob Flynn. Quite cool. Someone what? writes an album, a metal album based on Neil Gaiman's American Gods. That would be quite cool, I think, because that's a damn good book. So, I mean, if, if you haven't read that, go away and read it. The TV show wasn't that good, but American Gods, oh, yeah. good, yeah, good idea yeah. for a book. No, I mean, I like, I like Gaiman because of the comics and Sandman and stuff, which is going to be decent. Um, well, to be, to be fair, if we're, if we're going to get a concept album by anything Gaiman related, it's going to be Tori Amos. So, <laughs> they're mates. Right, well, let's move on to, because it is a, a, you know, a week of some new new music. So, Megadave have got a new track out as well. We'll be back. I quite like it. It's not amazing, but I do quite like it. He sounds quite angry and a bit pissed off, which is good. What do you think? Padre, have you listened to it? You're Mr. Megadeth. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he's definitely, you know, trying to flash it up a bit there. It's good. It's, it's, it's got a... a that, there's a couple of good riffs in there, in the middle. Um, I don't like the lyrics. That's, that's what puts me off, to be honest. And bit, unfortunately, his voice, on, his voice is on the blink. I like I like the fact that there's quite a lot of soloing going on in that. There's a lot of soloing. Yeah, there's a lot of soloing going on. But lyrically, you know, Mustaine used to be so strong. So these days, he's never going to cut the mustard, is he? No, he's going to run out of ideas. So it's likely to be not strong. But I did like the song. And what did you think? Yeah, again, I, I thought it's quite solid. It's like he realises what he he's good at. And he's just focused on that. Um He's obviously got a settled, uh, settled group of people and everyone knows their place. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to crack on and write the music. And it feels a bit more natural. I think, it'll be, good. I think it'll be a good one live. Yeah. He's got loads of sound. That, that riff is about three and a half minutes in. He's, he's fucking good. Yeah. You, you know, the break later on, it, you know. I'm, I'm keen to hear part two, basically. Yeah. That's a good sign. Um, I'm not sure his his, I mean, you know, the, the the vocals, like what he's saying, I'll, you know, I can be indifferent about, but it's um, his sneer is, I don't know, it doesn't seem to work as well at his age. No, it's not quite what it was, but he he's, he's at least putting a little bit of anger into it, which you know is, is what I want to hear from Bastain anyway. So, um, on a much lesser note. Um, Ozzy's new single, Patient Number Nine, dropped today, I think. I had to listen this morning. And it, it, it sucks to say this because we all love Ozzy Osbourne and we love Sabbath and we love Ozzy for what he is. He's a cartoon character these days. But, my God, it's fucking awful. <laughs> it's so bad. 
his vocals are so auto-tuned. I mean, I know he has been for Donkey's years, but it's it's just getting out of hand. The song goes nowhere. It's too long. It's boring. Jeff Beck plays on it, apparently. That means shit. Could be anybody. Really disappointing. Really uh, disappointing. I'm, I'm obliged to give it a go because my dad used to play in a band with Jeff Beck back in the day. So That's a bit like a Del Preston story. Remind me, who's Del Preston? And then Jeff Beck popped his head through the door. Wayne's well. Oh, God, yeah, okay. Ralph Brown, the roadie. Yeah, that's yeah, bad. It, that's bad. You've got, you got to listen to it because it's Aussie, you have to listen to it, but it, it is bad. And apparently, I mean, the, the song title says it all. It's, it's about him and Sharon and things going wrong and him going into hospital and all that kind of stuff. And it's, oh, it's bad. This is this is the man that gave us, you know, some classic stuff, and it's just sad to see what he's become. Really sad, but um, anyway, on a much lighter. Note, he doesn't know any different though, does he? Bless him. We no, I think that's part of the it. problem. It's almost like he's just he's just doing it. I don't know whether he's doing it to appease her or if he's doing it to appease a label. He can't be doing it for himself. Wasn't it? Wasn't his his slogan a while back? Retirement sucks. Yeah, but is it coming from him? I, I just don't. I don't believe for a minute. It is. It's not like he's a well man. No. Yeah. You know, he's no, he's, again. But it's interesting. Is it just to keep his profile up? Because obviously he's probably not getting the sales anymore. People are just listening to it on Spotify. Um, he doesn't need like, sales. It's, he's Aussie yeah. fucking Osborne. It doesn't matter anymore. Keep his presence up. Keep his profile up, rather in the press. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's. I mean, when I go to games at Villa Park, before the teams walk out, they play Crazy Train. So, you know, when it when it, it's, it's I know obviously they're an Aston band, but that's not the point. It, it, that pro, the profile will always be there. He doesn't need new music to keep his profile up, and he's no, just he just going out on a whim, going out on a on a whimper. Yeah, it's it's sad. I think we said this before. And to think that he's going out on tour next year. Yeah. No, he's just he's just fucking ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. But yeah, um, in my um, during my lazy unemployed days at the minute, um, I chose to rewatch the decline of Western civilization part two this week. That's That's it. I've never seen. <laughs> you need uh, to watch it. You yeah, need you to need watch to... it. Right, just just picture this, right? So both um, Ace Freely and Gene Simmons are interviewed on that movie. Paul right? Stanley. Paul Stanley. No, he's really Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley. Where and where do you think they interviewed Gene Simmons? Have a guess. Where would you? Where would you? Where would Gene want to be interviewed? I think you're talking about Paul Stanley interviews. No, I, I'll get to that. Playboy <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Mansion. Gene, close. Gene okay. Simmons. Interviewed in a lingerie shop. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Right. And, and then Paul Stanley is interviewed lying on a bed surrounded by about five or six scantily clad glamour models, basically. Um, and, 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 you know, Lemmy, he's interviewed in the, in the, the rain, Hills. In the rainbow and the hills. He stood up in the hills. Yeah, now, Ozzy yeah. Osbourne's interviewed on that. Where do you think they interview Ozzy Osbourne? <laughs> In his fucking kitchen, making bacon and eggs. Yeah, yeah, I can believe that. 
the, the, it's, it's the moment when he um when he's 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 pouring orange juice into a glass and it's just going all over the fucking counter and he's an absolute fucking mess. But yeah, yeah and seriously, you you've got to watch it because it's so entertaining. It just, and looking back what's on it the, now, because what what's the guy on there that drinks and downs an entire bottle of vodka? Oh, that's um Chris Holmes from Wasp, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he he was um, he was an absolute shit state. Just, yeah, lying in a pool and just necking bottle after bottle, and he, he couldn't even string a sentence together. He was an absolute mess. I can't really think of uh, any sort of scene set in a lingerie shop without thinking of Father Ted. <laughs> it's Ireland's biggest lingerie section, I understand. <laughs> but no, seriously, you, you've got to watch it. Take an hour and a half out of your time and watch it. But it's, it's yeah. two pound fifty on Amazon. Okay, all right, I'll do. And there's part one and part three as well. They're more about sort of punk and grunge and, and stuff like that. But you no, look no, I need to, it's now, serious and Wayne's world, isn't it? Well, it's yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, but you look back at it now and the time it's set, and you just realise what scum they were. All of them. They, they're just they're almost just like set. <coughs> you know, you got these bands that were that were unsigned bands like London and stuff like that. That um that weren't even signed, and yet they're surrounded by women all the time, just living that life when it's, it's not even there. And you just think, fuck it hell, they were, yeah, like I said, just sexual predators. I don't know, some, some of it's, some of it's, you think the music was good, some of the music was good, and they were enjoying life, and maybe they were taking things a little less seriously, I, I don't know, but it, it, was, it was good to go back and watch it for the first time in probably best part of 15 years, I think. This is weird. I've got what sounds like a massive, massive bee or massive wasp somewhere in my flat. I'm trying to think where it is. Turn your vibrator off. Oh, no, it's run out of batteries. See, you need to get a rechargeable one. It's the way forward. Uh, Rechargeable what? Vibrator. Well, we've all got one of those, but what? He's he's gone double A batteries. He's made the first mistake. Oh, no, triple A. Come on, it's, 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 it's a small vibrator. I don't need a big one. Well, maybe you just need to upgrade. Yeah. Is he chasing his vibrator around the room now? I just, I just, just, just trying to find this bloody bee or this wasp. It's just it's where it sounds like it's coming from somewhere and I can't work out where. <laughs> it sounds huge. It sounds like a Maybug. <laughs> Sorry, carry on without me. You, you could have done this while Padre was talking politics. No, no, I've literally only just started hearing it. It's only started buzzing madly in the last couple of minutes. It's mugging you off now. It's laughing at you. It that is. buzz is laugh. That's it. He's gone. Can we, can we you know, what, let him fight his wasps and buzz? Ca- yeah, carry on. Carry on. I'll, 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 I'll still join in, but he's it's quieting down now. I don't know where he is. <laughs> yeah, let him go on with it. Um, this week, mainly, we wanted to have some rants because we haven't really done that yet. And, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to sit here and, uh, and and wax lyrical about the stuff we love, but sometimes we just need to talk about the stuff we fucking hate. And the little annoyances from metal and from gigs or, or from whatever. Um, for me, the first one, and I've, I've been guilty of, of watching things on YouTube, but people who film the entire an entire concert on their phones or stand there with their phone over there no. and film the entire fucking thing. There's an element of, yeah, take photos, all of that. That's fine. I do that. And maybe film a minute, 30 seconds, or maybe one song. 
But those people that stand in front of you, and I've even seen people do it with fucking iPads, for Christ's sake. You know, why can't, why don't people just go to a gig and just enjoy it now? You, you watch, you watch a live stream from a festival. So take Down Over, Hellfest, anyone's happened over the last couple of weeks. All you can see across the crowd is people with their phones in the air. This, yeah, this is the problem, right? People, a lot of people are not going to these things primarily because of the experience or they want to see the music. They're going to say they've gone. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's like, in, it's all, I, I'm going to go to Glastonbury, why? Because it's on my bucket list. Yeah. Why is it on your bucket list? Well, because it's Glastonbury. All right, okay. So, I mean, I... I don't. I don't want to go to Glastonbury. I've never had an interest in going to Glastonbury, um, but I, I, and I wouldn't go. I, and I don't care. Like no, because no one I know. If I went, oh, I went to Glastonbury. None of you lot would be going. Oh my god, that's amazing! You went to Glastonbury. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Um, like speaking of Glastonbury, I do find it quite funny though. When you think about it, how many vegans are at Glastonbury right I've now? I've seen this. I've seen this today as well. On a fucking yeah. dairy farm. Yeah, they're on a, a working dairy farm. You <laughs> hypocritical motherfuckers. Go and free the cows. Go on, free them. See, Glastonbury would have suited you about 25 years ago when it was still a fucking war zone with nothing but drugs. And you'd been, you'd have been, you'd been in your element. You'd been away for five or six days and we wouldn't see you. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have probably would have gone then, but I wouldn't go now. You've been you've been out eating toothpaste and, and all sorts, so you know. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. But yeah, you, you're right. It is people that they they're not going for the experience anymore. They're not going to enjoy the show. They're going, yeah, just to say, oh, I was there. Is it glamping, like really posh camping, and you can? Yeah, glamping's a thing. Yeah, but you, the yeah. fact you can do it at festivals is wrong. Yeah, yeah, you can rent those like Mongolian. Yeah. 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 At, yeah. at the camp. Yeah. So, so what is your problem? I've, um, I've done VIP camping at Bloodstock and, and that was worth it, to be fair, because you just had a, another field and you had showers. That was pretty much it. And you had access to the VIP bar, which had a great hog roast and a good selection of beer. So for me, that, those three things were worth paying and the parking was closer to the campsite. That's perfect. I don't need a fucking yurt. I don't need someone playing the fucking bongos. I don't need people in flowery you wearing boots. Pay for VIP camping at a metal festival. It cost about get 30 quid extra. Get out. It was fucking worth every penny. All 30, You like one of those flash gets on a long haul flight. They don't they don't pay for first class or business. They pay they pay for economy plus. <laughs> and, and then they rub your face in it going, oh look, I've got I've got a bigger armrest. And I've got I've I've got um uh, uh, only two two seats. I didn't have someone sat on the other side of me, and you know I, I get an extra extra movie on the on the in flight entertainment. What what happened to you? You know what? what you know what? Zero fucks given on that. If I hadn't gone VIP, I wouldn't have met Joey fucking Tempest. So there you go. <laughs> All right, okay. So it, it was worth it, but yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. You, you can sleep in. You can sleep in sheds and fucking gypsy carriages and all sorts of festivals now. What has he got? What have you got in there? What did I, what did I say? It might have been. What did I? It sounded like. I can't I said see a maybug. It. A, a maybug. It was a maybug. Just try out the window. <laughs> we're behind these theatrics. 
It was just at the bottom of a chimney, uh, chimney thing. Never been. Eat it Brown. tiny bits of steak and watch it grow. Make it angry, yeah. make it aggressive. Yeah, it, it, it heard our podcast and couldn't cope. Call it Flynn. <laughs> and write a concept album around, around it, you know, around the Maybug. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of, you know, creature comforts at a festival. I get that. But when you're in the, um, in the realms of paying 1,500 quid for a ticket with a yurt, that's when it becomes a problem because you've got, you've got the wrong kind of crowds at festivals. I saw a post on Twitter so that, this morning that people are out jogging around the Glastonbury site in the mornings. What? People are going for a jog around the Glastonbury site. In this ties in with what I was saying, one of my pet hates. People that go to metal festivals for just one band. It's like, if you're going to go, go on, like, and I'm not saying, okay, let, let me just modify this. People it's that it's go to I reckon metal, you've done that. No. People that go to metal <laughs> one band and make no effort to see the other bands okay that's different that's fair you know it's like okay so you go to a gig because you want to see and, and again we were talking about this weren't we when we were talking about what happens when the big bands retire well there, there are there are a certain percentage of people at a big festival that are there for that band and that band alone yeah so if you play those big bands are those people going to stop coming true you know, because uh, I mean, and, and like, if you're like, if if you go to if you go to download just just to see Linkin Park or just to see Metallica, are you really a metal fan? If you just like one band, like, well, again, quoting Steve Hughes from last week, isn't it? I used to be into metal. No, you wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? But I mean, we we've done. I mean, Reading. I think was it Reading two thousand and three? Was it? Uh, that- Different. That's Reading. I'm talking about metal festivals. Yeah, this true, is really true. Metal. Um, because you know, if you and and you know, we we went to see. Yeah, we were we went we bought the ticket because it was Metallica. Yeah. But we went to see Electric Six. We watched the Darkness play. I went to, I went and watched the Chemical Brothers play on the Saturday. Um, there were quite a few other bands we saw. Yeah, it was just, I think that was the first year that I went to a festival where I spent more time on the campsite than I did in the arena watching bands. Yeah. Because, yeah, before when you were younger, you, you would spend the whole day in the arena just watching as many bands as possible. I think it was 2003. It was. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, O2, yeah. O2 we saw quite a few bands, and O3 we, we were in the campsite quite a lot. And that's when Electric Six had their song. So, yeah. oh, Lost Profits played that year. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of sexual predators, I'm just looking at the rest of the line. I just remember what we actually went to see. So this is what I mean. I reckon I I, I, I could probably count on one hand the number of bands I saw that weekend. But you know what? Back then, you, you could kind of justify it a bit because festival tickets were a lot cheaper as well. Yeah. That's another thing. Now you spend 250 quid on a festival ticket, and you feel like you need to go and watch 20 bands. You want to get value for money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like for example, you, you go to like uh the, the, the Donington or the, so download for the for the day, for example, but you don't go to the second stage. So like you know, that year that um we went and we bumped into you know who in his yeah. Arsenal shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't go to see any of those other bands. He didn't go and see Opeth. He didn't go and see Slay. He didn't go and see Mastodon. He didn't go and see Lamb of God. They were all on the second stage. Yeah. 
Um, they just want to see that. What I want to see Metallica, and you're just like, there are loads of decent bands playing this festival. You yeah. should really and check them out. And, uh, and I'm glad because that was the first time I'd come across Mastodon. I know you'd been listening to them for a while, and I remember hearing March of the Fire Ants live, and I was like, this is phenomenal. And Lamb of, Lamb of God as well, and Opeth, and I was like, this, this is cool stuff. And I went away, and you know, sh- you know, got some material from those bands. Um, is it a form of elitism? People. What to say you can't go to a metal festival just for one band? No, 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 no. To to be the kind of person that just goes for one band is that a level of elitism in some way? No, I, I no, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think, no. I no, think I, it's, cause... I think it's now, I think it's narrow-mindedness. That elitism is more about sort of, you know, I put myself above you because I, I've done this I, i'm this kind of fan and you're not um whereas people who sort of go to a festival just for one band they're just idiots because they're limiting themselves yeah i i look at it now and just think value for money if i was going to go to a festival yeah. i'd want value for money so i probably would watch more bands now than i may have done 20 years ago okay. yeah and you, you never know sometimes you just wander into a tent and you see a band that you've never heard before and 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 they're a killer band so it's always possible I can't remember if that's really happened to me over these. It probably has, but but um, but yeah, just yeah, just going back to people filming shows. I have, you know, I, I have, I am one to go on YouTube and watch some footage back from festivals and stuff like that. I don't mind it, but you know, what? generally it's fucking shit. So why would you want to film a festival with bad sound and bad picture? And then watch it back on your phone. I, I I just don't get the point. And also, if you're filming, if you if you think about it from this perspective, that you go and see a band, one of your favourite bands, big, small, what doesn't matter, and um, you know you you're gonna have some kind of emotional response to seeing that band. Something's gonna trigger in you: excitement, yeah. joy, happiness, aggression. Uh, euphoria you know orgasm yeah um and are you are you going to experience that <laughs> you're too busy concentrating on getting the right tint on the camera for your instagram yeah and it's just like just experience it and then go and then go, go and tell people oh yeah i went to so and so like all of the all of the photos that i dug out of the loft a few years ago when i was sorting my stuff out at home and I found pictures of Red in 2003 and I found pictures of Big Day Out and Ozfest and stuff like that. There's not a single band in those pictures. It's, band, it's pictures of my mates. It's memories. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, and, he, and this is on one of those disposable cameras. Um, so, yeah, you don't need to take loads of pictures of a band. And, like, you know, like, I mean, I, mean I, did, I did try and take on Big Day Out, I did try and take a picture of Metallica on stage. Sorry. And you can't see anything. There's no, no fucking zoom on the camera. It's pointless. You know, it's, it's futile. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah, the only reason I tried to take photos at um, Metallica in Sonosphere was because I was in the state pit very close to the front and I got some decent photos. That's worth taking photos. Yeah, absolutely. That otherwise, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't try unless I'm in a really decent decent position because, yeah, I've got a decent camera, but you, you, you're competing against everyone else that's got a... Yeah. Like screen so now those are the situations where 
you know, 30 odd years ago, you would put photos like that in a photo album and you would show someone. Mm. If you showed so, if someone came up to you and showed you a four minute video of Megadeth at a festival, you'll watch it for 30 seconds and I'm fucking bored. It's just, it's just a band playing on the stage. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't, I don't, just don't get why it's such a big thing. And it's not just a few people either. You've got a crowd of 30,000 people. You're looking at probably, I don't know, put, just pull a number out of the air, but 25, 30% of those people are filming it on a phone. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, uh, but mind you, though, I, I've been guilty of the whole, like, there have been times, two times at least, I've been at a festival and I know someone that I had wanted to be there or something wasn't there. So I've rung them up and I've just held the phone up. And like, Do you that, check this again, out? That's different. I've done that. I mean, I mean we did that at Wacken. We've done that. It, that's, that's totally different. It's, it's a moment. It's 30 seconds. It's, you know, you're not standing there for two fucking hours filming the entire show. Stop fucking doing it. If anyone who's listening does it, you can either A, not listen to this podcast anymore, or just stop fucking doing it. it or you can me. come on and apologise, and I will absolve you of your sins. They're not getting absolution. I, I, they just come I, on and apologise. I can wash your sins away, but you, you, you need to acknowledge that there's a problem. You need to come to Padre and let Padre ease your soul, ease your burdens, cleanse your soul. I'd rather you cast them down to hell. No, no, no. You've got to give them a chance at salvation. They won't but take it. If, if they don't take it, then there is a special place in hell for them. They won't listen to you. They'll walk away. They'll go to a Ramstein show and they'll film all two hours of it. Fine. Film it. See where, see where you end up. End up in a fucking Coldplay album. But anyway. Fuck, fuck okay. it. I, next one. Go on then. Needlessly, needlessly clean acoustic intros to thrash metal songs, especially <laughs> around the 1986 to 89 period. For some reason, there are loads of them. And what I was saying earlier about this kind of derivative, um, like kind of thrash, and like that band, Paradox, uh, Paradox with the song Heresy, that, that's, what, that's what came up. I was researching this because I was like, hang on a minute, there seems to be loads of like a really crappy acoustic intros or clean intros right that don't really go into a song now battery that's not one of them it goes the riff on the acoustic intro is the riff in the song yeah, yeah? that works it's it trans transitions but then you've got other songs like and I, i'm sorry to say this but testament are actually one of the biggest criminals for this because every single every single album these first four albums has got something like this on it and it doesn't necessarily work because it, it's just like, oh, I'll do this like nice little, you know, picked, you know, intro and then bang, trash. And it's like, well, you, why did you put it on? Um, uh, Coroner or another one. And it's like, what are you, what are you trying to suggest? Are you, are, is it like you're saying, look, we can play our instruments and we do have some knowledge of like classical music and stuff. And is it being a bit like kind of... Uh, insecure like does the way that metal is, is the way that metal viewed by, by certain people but or the, or the media as being simplistic or just about demons and witches and wizards does that push people to try and prove them wrong by putting in like complex thing parts of songs that don't really work but are they are just there to kind of prove a point 
But yeah, so this Testament got two songs. There's the, I think it's, it's the Gathering. And then there's another one off the Legacy. But then there's other kinds of stuff like, um, I mean, some, some notable mentions, which are actually quite good. One of them we've already mentioned, Anastasia by Slash. Uh, and the Miles um, Kennedy, that's a good one. Uh, there's a list on here um, on uh, ultimateguitar.com. Um, Machine Head, Clenching the Fist of Descent. I haven't heard that song. What, have you heard that one? I don't recognise the song title. And yeah, but, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's from um, the Through the Ashes of Empire album. That was there when they started to get good again after the, the hip-hop period. But, like, uh, but, uh, but then uh, uh, an acoustic or clean intro that really works is Moonshield by In Flames. Yes. Because then it goes straight into the song. And the, the that's, that's more of a, um, it's more of a folk intro, isn't it? That? It's, it's not necessarily yeah. acoustic, it's, it's got a folk tinge to it. And In Flames had a folk tinge. Yeah, same point, yeah. Um, and then there's, uh, there's actually a YouTube channel, um, and it's just called Acoustic Intros to Splash Metal, and there's four parts. Um, and it, it's really, it's quite funny actually, because the guy that wrote, writes it, or the, the, his channel is Def, Defcon 66, he's called. And this is what he's written on the, on the, the, the blurb. By now, you should have realized that thrash metal artistry was based in large part on classical composition, something new metal kids never understood, which explains why metal is extremely flaky and insipid. There is no real evolutionary value to it at all, simply because its key players have decided to forego formal musical education and practice. They wasted time picking out the right shoes and the trendy clothes to wear for the photo shoots. Marketing took care of hyping up those no talent hats. The sooner this disposable generation of supposed metalhead gives up and fades away, the better. For now, stick to the classics. On this last edition, I've actually included a new band called Hexen that play proper tribute to the thrash metal Book of Law. Also, a semi-younger death thrash band, Conqueror from Germany, thrash. Um, and, then he's got, and then he's just got a list. It's just his death, death to the following poser bands. Alex is on fire. Atreyu, Trivium, Hawthorne Heights, AX7, In Flames, Bullet for My Valentine, MCR, Slipknot, Linking Park, Arch Enemy, Disturbed, Godsmack, New Metallica, Hatebreed, Corn, Shadows Fold, Kill Switch Engage, Children of Bomber, Children of Bottom, sorry, and any other screamo hardcore crap band I can't even bring myself to mention. Oh, I've, I've, I've got issues like, with some of the names in that list. That's yeah, like, come yeah, on, come on. dreadful stuff in there, but I've got issues with Bottom, Arch Enemy, you know, In Flames. You, you, can't, you can't lump those in with the likes of Electric no. on Fire and stuff that like was, that. Someone's clearly had a problem with the noughties, didn't they? It sounds yeah, like you wrote yeah. it. <laughs> I was going to say it, but I thought, no, no. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, no, that's, that's bollocks. So there's a lot of decent bands in there. And even some of the bands that you don't like, I, I, will, I will defend. Yeah, exactly. And so, it, honestly, it sounds like you wrote it. <laughs> if I read that, you know, out of context, I think, hmm. This is this is the work of Padre. We can't, no, we can't, never. We can't call Children of Bottom screamo for fun. That's though. fucking ridiculous. Utterly fucking ridiculous. And you know what? That's something that I've got a problem with. Is is just 
lumpy, lazy comparisons of bands. That's that's fucking oh my god. Comparing Children of Bottom with Alexis on Fire. I've heard it all now. Utter fucking shit. But I do get what you mean about the acoustic intros with Thrash Metal. I, I get the um the delicate art of contrast. I can see that. You know, the likes of Fire Fire with Fire and stuff like that, it works, but it's got it's got to work. It's got to You've got to be you've got to know what you're doing. And, and it's like yeah. it's like putting a solo in a song that doesn't work. It's yeah. like, you know, you look at Good Morning Black Friday, great. Build, 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 solo, build the rest of the song. To Live Is To Die doesn't really, that acoustic intro is great, but it doesn't, it's not really part of the song. It's yeah. like an addendum. Um, but then again, like, Metallica, Metallica are always good at that kind of stuff. Though. Um, yeah, they were. They don't even bother. Because, you know, they don't need to. Um, Sepultura were pretty good at it. Like that again, that, that clean intro before Beneath the Remains, Beneath and then Bang Song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then songs at Kiowas off uh, KSAD. Yeah. But we used to the joke was called St. Ives because it's got seagulls on it. <laughs> <laughs> seagulls and second homeowners. <laughs> That's Sepultura classic. Yeah. Um, fucking hell. I'm, I'm going to be back, back in Kerno in what? About. 12, 12 days. So yeah, they are the currently chicken. building a wall across the, the chain to stop you fucking roost. I have got I've got a list of people I need to see. There is a wall Cornish Bay- along the banks of the Tamar to stop you getting in. Cornish Bakehouse on top of that list. <laughs> what the fuck is the Cornish Bakehouse? Um, it's a it's a new pasty shop chain. And unless you've got anything to say, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into another one. Yeah, go for it. Sub genres. Sorry, sub, 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 sub genres. And anything with post ahead of its name. And the one that springs to mind more than anything, sub genres, I remember back in the early 2000s, bands like Shadow Fall, I think Lamb of God got lumped into it as well. And I'm not talking about the new wave of American heavy metal. I remember reading in Koran the term sports metal. Oh, yeah. What? Sports metal. Sports? Sports metal, yeah. How? What? Fuck what is that? Fuck it's, it's because It's because of either the jock um, tracksuit and sporty kind of clothing sort of look. Yeah, because like Randy Blythe is such a jock. Yeah, exactly. This is what I mean. You know, it didn't... If I, I heard... I heard, heard this, kind of fucking uh, sense. I heard this... Um, I think I heard the term sports metal before I heard new metal. It was long before Lamb of God. It was sports metal was used to describe, you know, corn and Deftones and those kind of California bands because probably they, because they were wearing tracksuits and trainers yeah, rather than exactly. Yeah, it was a it was a stupid term then, and quite frankly, I think new metal worked better. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't certainly didn't hear it for Lamb of God. But there's all right. Some of it makes sense, but you've got to think about. And as much as we love a lot of the bands. The term melodic death metal, even that doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, it's just, that's, it's a distinguish it from some of, you know, the, the core death metal stuff from Florida, which is very melodic. Deathcore. What, what the fuck's deathcore? Yeah. yeah. Why is that not just death metal? Death metal had hardcore style breakdowns in it right from the start. So what's the fucking difference? 
this is the thing. It's like, you know, music in a way shares a lot of commonality with uh, uh, organized religion. It's like different sects, isn't it? Like, but right, it's not just Catholicism. Now we've got this new one, this new branch of it's called Protestantism. Okay, and what, what's what's the subgenre of that? Lutheranism. <laughs> what was um, what are the other ones? You know, uh, the Mennonites. You know, it's Church of Latter Day Saints. Yeah. yeah. Um, Baptists. You know, it's uh, Episcopalian. <laughs> I mean, that's, the thing, that's, where, that's where you get into the cults. I mean, there's a, there's, there was a cult called the Scopsies, I think, in Russia. Um, and basically, they chopped their genitals off. Nice. Yeah. They, they, based, they based their, um, their, their sort of uh, approach on, on a biblical, uh, biblical line that said, blessed are the barren. Bringing it back to metal. <laughs> <laughs> one, and I've mentioned this before, but the one that winds me up the most is post whatever so post metal so anything that's a bit ethereal a bit epic a bit sort of sprawling in its nature is now called post metal so bands like Carl Luna Isis when they're around Neurosis you know around fucking 25 odd years ago and they're still being lumped into this term post metal it's just fucking I, I, it's an interesting one because it's I'm, I'm I suppose I suppose this, this is my role tonight because I, I was struggling to find the things that annoyed me in metal for reasons I'll go into later but yeah I'm, I'm the um, I'm the challenger here I suppose <laughs> this evening on this you are the voice of reason voice <laughs> no, not necessarily reason let's just see if I've got a point to make um, what was it Steve Hughes says about these posts was it Steve Hughes who said it last week how he interpreted it I can't recall but I my you know I think the first post music was post punk wasn't it I don't think you had it because you didn't really have labels to the same extent before, no. before uh, you know, as you go further back before then. I mean, Christ, even metal, heavy metal was just a lazy derogatory term used by the music press to describe the louder, louder bands. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing until after New Wave, British. If you take, I think, look at where this, firstly, the use of the, the post, uh, uh, used to go with post as an, uh, an af uh, prefix here, is that you got, I think you've got to link it to some extent to the whole idea of postmodernism. So postmodernism is all about pluralism and eclecticism and relativism and the rejection of like grand narratives and organised structures. So this idea of constantly taking something and finding its, its, its own thing and, and, and relabeling it is a way of separating it from what you are saying is the established order of so like you know then the established order of metal is there's metal there's death metal there's thrash metal there's black metal okay those are kind of the main ones yeah yeah there's that's not enough anymore now we need this this and this now we need post pre um uh kind of legacy kind of you know it's just i think i, I don't know I think there's yeah, I mean the, the core stuff is a difficult is a difficult one, but um, I, I think there's there can be there can be a point to it if it's done right. I mean, if we go back to post punk, I mean, you talk about artists who grew up a bit, but they they still wanted to use those certain guitar sounds without the aggression and basically increase the atmosphere and the sound, and they came from punk. So it it 
you know, if you think about those early ones like Joy Division, um, you know, and even stuff like Gary Newman, you know, they they were post-punk. Um, their background was punk. They wanted to do something different, yet retain retain an element of that sound. And like you say, you've got that sprawling thing, which we get from from post-metal. It's that experimentalism, um, which which is taken the place of the aggression i suppose i think yeah if you if you take a band like cult of luna who are you know one of the heaviest bands you'll ever hear or see and they shout and they're angry and and whatnot but they don't you know they're not straight up metal they don't have the same sort of imagery it's very it is a very sort of distinctive kind of metal that is different to a lot of the classic heavy metals or or, or your thrashes so for me, just calling them metal doesn't quite nail what they do. So if you're not going to call them post-metal, what, what do we call them? If, it, it feels like... Why, this is why do we need label. to call them anything? I, I don't know. It's just, it, it's, it, maybe it's just, like I say, the, the, the nerd in me that likes to have things labelled and have things separated to distinguish, distinguish them. Um, but, but, but yeah, it's, it's they... That they do their thing, and there are bands like them that do their own thing as well. So, I don't but know. your point about post-punk in in the early and late seventies and early eighties with bands like Joy Division and stuff like that—that that kind of makes sense because it was born out of punk, and like I said, they were trying to do something different. So, that kind of makes sense. But post-punk reared its head in the eighties and two thousands as well, didn't it? It's kind of never really gone away the, in terms the term of post-punk, and it was labelled with bands like the Used and shit like that. That was. It was thrown at that kind of thing because it was a slightly more melodic and emotional take on punk rock. So it just got this label, and that's part of the problem. Yeah, but you've got to, yeah, you've got to look at where these labels are coming from. What's the idea behind applying these labels? And I think it comes back to postmodernism, this obsession with labeling everything. And and it's what and what it does is if you look at criticisms of postmodernism, it a lot of critics would say it leads to something called um, obscuritism, uh, obscurantism, which is everything's obscure. Everything's like, you know, well, it's, it's like what we were saying in, the, in previous episodes about the person that knows that one band from this new genre that no one else has ever heard of. Yeah. And it gives, it gives them a, set, a sense of like almost like ownership of it. So, yeah, it's like constantly having to kind of like um, synthesize things into something else. And it, all you're left with is just like, no one knows what the fuck it means anymore. Because that's another thing. Postmodernism takes a view of meaning as um, a, a kind of a semantic uh, view of meaning as being naive and that there's more to it. So that, I think that is, that, that's the bedrock of what, 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 what we're talking about. That's where it comes from. This, this, this need, not just a necessity, a need to just like label everything validate i mean we, we've been guilty of it because we we've on this podcast we sat and we talked about a new wave of traditional heavy metal whereas padre like you said does it, why does it have to come in waves it's just heavy metal it's, it's never really changed there's always been bands like that so mm. why does it need a, a fucking label i get death metal i get thrash metal i get you know black metal they, they, they've got a distinct sound and a distinct imagery but when it when you start to muddy the waters with all these different ridiculous subgenres, it just becomes stoner metal was one as well that isn't something that's around so much these days. 
but any band that sounded like Sabbath were called a stoner band. Whereas if they were around in 1972, they'd just be a heavy metal band. So why do they become stoner bands? Because it's a bit fuzzy and a bit bands like Caius and that kind of thing. It's bass heavy, lazy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe it's not even necessary to really complain about it that much because does it really matter? But because the bands you like are the bands you like. But it just seems maybe it just gives music journalists something to write about now because the music industry is so trite and so boring that they need they need to give things labels to make it more interesting. But I don't know. Padre, you have a go. You've always got something to say. What another pet hate? Yeah, go on. You you can have, you can have one more. Mm, yeah, I think I, I think going back to like if we look at like the basis of this podcast is trying to get me to listen to music after 1994. One of the reasons for the podcast, but then like one of the reasons why I got stuck in a rut is because I I sometimes I do really think that there's just too much fucking growling and screaming on on a lot of the bands, and that's what put me off a lot listening to a lot of new music because I wasn't hearing anything that had a lot of like you know clean music and it's one of the reasons why I I like some of this like you know like a band like Terrell Gunner they, they don't need to scream you know it's like you know one of the reasons why I love I Made It is because it's singing you know um so it's a, it, I, I don't mind it when it's done well but if it's if it's just there because like that's what the genre expects, I don't. Or it's like you can be aggressive without without screaming and growling, you know. So I just it's it, that is that's a very you know uh, idiosyncratic peeve on my part. That's more to do with me than it's a critique of anything else. I I, just, no, I, I, I get you on that because there's 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 two things you can you can um, you you can look at with this like new metal bands you had quite a few new metal bands that had two vocalists you had one vocalist that growled and one vocalist that screamed or sang or or whatever a clean vocalist and a gruff vocalist and then metalcore comes along and bands like kill switch engage and that kind of thing and you have you have a um a gruff verse part and then you have clean singing in the um in the choruses and, and things like that that became very formatted because like you said it's it's what the genre expected. And you're right, was, what, why do you have to have so many different vocal dynamics? Why is it... I get it in, like, death metal or black metal. That's got a certain type of vocal style, but why, why is it... I'm with you. Why is it necessary to have someone screaming like fuck just to get a point across? There's some bands out there that have clean vocalists, but, yeah, you're right, sound aggressive. But then it, you're weird. Like, you just shouldn't bother. It's weird. As much as I love them, it's... it's... It's one of those things that I sort of almost accepted that Opeth do because it feels right for them, but it's still quite an odd juxtaposition when they go from one to the other. I think Opeth managed to pull it off because there's so much character in their music and, and it all, they, they do that balance so well. They do it better than anybody else, really. You know, how they can go from one extreme to the other in the same song, but it never seems contrived. It never seems... Like they're just doing it for the sake of it. It fits the music and it fits the, the sort of vibe that Opeth offer. There's not many bands around these days that, that do it as well as they do. And Michael Ackerfeld is one funny fucker. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Padre. It's, it, it's, it's, it fits where it's necessary, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's I mean, like in, 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 Flame, 
in flames growl and scream, but it's good stuff. Yeah. I personally have a problem with that. It's, it's, it's very, I'm being very selective as well. Because you could say, well, how, if you don't mind it within flames, why don't you, why do you dislike it with like maybe kill switch engage? I honestly don't know. I think a lot of it is, is clarity because um, gruff vocalists can be, can be guttural, but you can hear the words, you can hear the lyrics. And then there's just some that it's just that, that kind of bark, that, that sort of, and you, you don't know what the fuck they're, they're saying, but there's vocalists yeah. out there that can do it and you can hear what they're saying and you can understand the lyrics. Well, I think as well, I think as well, with like, again, going back to like a band like In Flakes, even if you can't understand what, the, what they're doing and you don't like the, the singing, the guitar playing behind it is good enough anyway. Yeah. But the music was good enough, uh, more than good enough. Yeah, I don't um, look back In Flames and think it's the vocals that turned me onto that band. It was, the, it was the music, the melody, the riffs, all of that. The vocals yeah. were secondary. There's a few bands that, that did, like Dark Tranquility do it better. I think Michael Stanner's got a good blend of, of harsh and clean vocals, but it does it just right because even his clean vocals have got a bit of a, a bit of sort of grit to them. So it's not quite so obvious. Again, going back to tags, the whole new wave of tra traditional heavy metal thing that's around now, some of the vocalists are amazing. Yeah, they are. They're really fucking good. There's some really good quality vocals out there, and it's, it's nice to hear proper talent. So, uh, and I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you the, the final word to have, you know, as the voice of reason and someone who's been into sort of like, for want of a better term, the, the screamo bands and stuff like that. Did it, was it necessary? I remember back in, shit, must have, might have been the late 90s, early 2000s, I saw Thursday, who I quite liked, to be fair. Um, but his vocals were like fingernails down a blackboard. But it, it kind of, it worked with the music, like it was like this outpouring of emotion, and it, and it worked with, with the music. But I couldn't understand the fucking word he was saying. Yeah, I, but that was, I suppose, that was a hardcore thing, wasn't it? They certain hardcore styles, and it worked. I mean, he's, yeah, he's a decent vocalist. He, the stuff he's done for No Devotion is far more melodic than we did for Thursday. So, um, it's. I think it's just one of those things that was tried out, and it seemed to work for some bands. Simple as that. Um, yeah. Think, to be honest, I think one of the, I don't want to even say the worst offenders, but one of the most difficult offenders was a, a band in the early noughties called From Autumn to Ashes. I was going to bring them up next. Um, Drummer. Yeah. They, you know, they had a lead singer or no, no, they had a lead growler. And yeah. it was all fairly standard hardcore. And then their drummer. Yeah. He, he didn't just... And the thing is, it wasn't even singing. It was this weird, really effeminate kind of screaming. Yeah, it was. It was just odd. Um, obviously, they didn't last very long and whatnot. But it's uh, they're very, very, very much a zeitgeist band at the time. I but quite like them though. The, the music. Well, was no, they, they, they had some good. That's the thing. They had some good stuff. The vocals. Yeah, I think. I think it was a bit. Yeah, they. They. They said, "Oh, let's do this." Um, and maybe they shouldn't have done. I think that's a good example of where it wasn't used to good effect. No, they definitely. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it was it was a trend, wasn't it? And maybe you know what? Maybe it just works better when you've got one person doing it, because we can look at the kill switch engages and opefs, and and we're used to it, and it fits. Yeah. So do both. You know, because I mean that's the thing we, we think of. People use the word singer, but they're vocalists. 
isn't the point of them to maybe do different things. If you look at Mike Patton, Christ, he did made every fucking sound under the sun. That's um, true. So yeah, that's it. You, you know, you go back to Angel, Angel Dust. He was, he was, you know, he did that all sorts over, over an album, not just in one song. So yeah, I, I think there's, 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 if you can have a vocalist who can do it and do it well and fit into the music, it shows a very good skill. But yeah, when you've got two, two or more people all almost battling each other, it's kind of, it, it's an odd dynamic and it's only really going to work if you've got a really good chemistry in the band. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Mike Patton's a prime, you're right, he's a prime example. And he, he would do it even within a song, let alone an album. You remember, you remember what he did with the, I, I've listened to it for ages, I'm going to have to now, um, that EP he did with Dillinger Escape Plan. Yeah. That was phenomenal. Yeah, it was. So, it was. Yeah. Yeah, talking a little bit, I'm going to, I was struggling with this episode because I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, pretty chill kind of person anyway um with the stuff i like but for me metal it's an escape so you know i'll always find something to love about it and if there's something i don't like about it i kind of almost ignore it and don't don't focus on it and try and focus on the things i like so i've never really ha had pet peeves because for me there, there's enough things to be angry or annoyed about outside in normal life and that's why i kind of listen to metal to get away from all that i mean today you know yeah, I'm, I'm angry about what I see in the news today. And for me, that's this is why I listen to metal. I need to get away from that shit. What are your pet peeves in life then? We haven't got time for that. <laughs> Fascism. <laughs> um, awful. Give us, one. Give us one. Huh? Give us one. Uh, yeah, go on. End the podcast with one of your life's pet peeves. And I was going to come up with one of my, my metal pet peeves, but... Well, go on then. Okay, well, album... Album insert sheets that don't have lyrics. You elitist. <laughs> yes. I, I just come on. You, it's part of the art form, and especially in metal, where a lot of the vocals can't always be deciphered. Get the lyrics down so people can actually fucking read them and can talk about them. I was, I was watching that documentary that Sam Dunn did a few, um, last week, and he was talking about how he used to read the death metal lyrics and try and find the sickest stuff to. to to joke about with their mates and it's it, that's part of it um yeah don't don't just have a bloody inset sheet sleeve that's just got photos of you and the band looking gormless on tour let's have some lyrics let, let's see those lyrics you know what i i agree with you on that because i know we've talked about this before but these days kids are never going to appreciate that opening the sleeve notes and seeing lyrics i mean yes i know you can have it scrolling on your screen when you're listening to it on apple music or whatever but it just isn't the same. I'm 100% with you on that. I don't buy physical music anymore. I don't buy vinyl. I don't buy CDs. You know, call me a cunt if you want. But I'm 100% with you on that one. That was part of the fun of it. Yeah, it's part of the package. I mean, don't even get me started on when a vinyl album does not come with an MP3 code. Come on. I bought, I bought it on fucking vinyl. Let me listen to it digitally for free as much as possible. That's why that's why Bandcamp's great in that regard. But yeah, the last municipal waste did not have an MP3 code. I was not happy. Their new album comes out next week. If it, if that, they've done it again, I'm gonna Spotify that shit most of the time. Vinyl sounds better. Yeah, it does. But I still want it, I still want it on my, my iPod. 
this is true. And you want, yeah, you want the best of both worlds. You want that convenience, but you want to go home and still... You want the moon on a stick. Yeah, want, I want a fucking moon on a stick. Yeah. He wants the moon on a fucking turntable. That's what he yeah. wants. And I get that reference as well, so... <laughs> All right, pet peeve in life. All right, let's go. Let's go ridiculous. You know, let's let's get let's not get too serious here. But something that is probably unreasonable, unreasonable or daft, whatnot. When people are at level crossings or whatever crossings go beep, and you have what, what is it that you have to wait for? Pelican crossing. That's it, pelican. See, I don't even know the bloody words. Yeah, when you've got people at a crossing and there's a parent with their child and they're waiting for the green man, even though there's no traffic. And then some prick just sees there's no traffic and just walks straight across. Yeah. You got a parent there trying to teach their child about the green man and the importance of traffic safety. And you've just wandered over without giving a fuck about the green man. And now that parent's got to tell their kid why that person's just fucking, you know, why, why, why can he go across? Because he's a fucking prick theory. Do what I do. Stand at the stand at the pelican crossing until there's a green man, so that that kid can see. Yes, it's not just my mum trying to teach me; <laughs> it's someone else trying to do the right thing. What would Elvin Stardust or Kevin Keegan have to say about all this kind of thing? You know, I, I you know what I can ask the head teacher of my old school because he's the son of Elvin Stardust. What? Yep. Please tell me he calls himself Mr. Stardust. No, 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 he's the, uh, yeah, he's the, I went to Rygate Grammar School for eight, eight years, I, yeah, it was all right, but um, yeah, he, um, he's the head teacher, and his dad was Alvin Stardust. All right, so there you go, then, to, to round that off. Can I, can I just, if you want, hang on, hang on, if, if you're one of those fucking people, if you are listening, and you're one of those people that crosses a road, crosses a crossing, when someone else went on the other side for the green man, you're a cunt. So there. <laughs> Can I just add one of my my pet hates in life, right? And and I, I feel like there's a small minority of, of us out there that get con continually discriminated against in the UK specifically, and it's and it's those those people like me who despise butter in sandwiches. We oh, live oh. in a butter dictatorship in the UK. It's always assumed that you will have butter on your fucking sandwich. And what makes it worse is when those dickheads who make sandwiches put butter and mayo in the same fucking sandwich. Are Why would you do that? Are you telling me you would have a bacon sandwich without butter? No, you don't need it. You don't no. need butter don't in a bacon need it, sandwich. But it, it, and you're constantly having to say to people, can you, can you give me a sandwich without any butter, please? And they look at you like you've just told them that, you know, you're uh, Osama Bin Laden. You know, and it's like, and then what they do because they've been programmed, they've been fucking programmed from birth to put butter on bread. You still get butter on your sandwich because it's like they've got to go against muscle memory. So you're just like, and then you're left with, well, I can't eat this now. I've just, I've just paid you five quid for this bacon sandwich or this sausage sandwich, whatever it is. And I can't eat, or like, you know, you get like a, a fucking chicken salad sandwich and it's got butter on the bread. Why Why do you put butter? You don't need to put butter on it. You just put fat on bread. If the ingredients are good enough, you don't need. So this is the thing. It's only in the UK. Are you, you're in Italy. Do you, do you use like, something like Bertoli? Because that's what I do. <laughs> what? Put an olive oil on, on the sandwich? Oh, yeah, yeah. I like, I like Bertoli. 
Well, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't need to put um. You don't need to put olive oil on the bread because the bread's usually fresh. So, um, you know, and you've got good ingredients. So they, they, some of them will put um, like uh, for example, uh, like a, a, an olive, almost like a tapenade, in it, and that's got oil in it. So that will soak up the bread. Then there's another. There's another substance that's got like olive oil, lemon juice, salt, and stuff like that in it. They turn into a thick paste. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to end this by saying you're just wrong. You are wrong. <laughs> look, you, you can't look. Why? Wrong. Why? You are wrong. A, like a bacon sandwich without butter. We, you know, no. you fuck butter Nazis. <laughs> you know, you must you must have butter on your bread, and and then uh, perversely, in in a, in a perverse irony. Any sandwich you buy from a, like a Boots Meal deal or Marks and Spencers, they've never got butter on. No, it's so margarine. Why is it? I, I never eat those. I, I, I'm so sandwiches. I either make them myself or I go go somewhere where I, I couldn't I'm care sorry. less about that. I couldn't care less about the supermarket sandwich. If I make a bacon sandwich at home, I'm slathering that motherfucker in butter, and and to top that off, to top that off, I'm frying the bacon in butter as well. <laughs> you don't need to. So, it's this kind of. It's, I want to. It's this kind of It's this kind of culinary medievalism that you know Steve Hughes was talking about last week. You know, there's no food culture in the UK, and there's no respect for food either. Do they have bacon Fried. in medieval times? It's got fat around the outside. You don't need to put oil in the pan. It's not about need. It's about want. I don't need yeah. fried bread in my life, but I get pissed off when I go to a cafe and I can't get fried fucking bread with my fry up. That, that that's a fair point. You've got, you know, you should always have the option of having fried bread. You know how it works when they try and make, when they don't use butter, when they inflict margarine on us? I'd rather have nothing that's than even. have margarine. It's butter all day long. It's got to be butter. But, you know... Well, I don't mind, and this is the shoot. I don't mind butter on toast. I just don't want it in my sandwiches. Well, you're not going to eat butter without toast, are you? Well, no, I, I usually put Nutella on. You probably put induja on it or something like that. You fucking slippery cunt. What? Well, uh, trust me. Like, no, no, seriously. Put you put a bit of enduja in a pan, crack and fry, crack an egg in, it, fry it, put on some toast. Oh, it's amazing. It's really it, good. It's, it's like, all right with um, that. It's not all right with butter on a bacon sandwich. I, I, I'm ending this because I'm right and you're fucking wrong. Now you're, 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 you're just that, <laughs> your card carrying member of the Nazi butter party. <laughs> I'm stopping him now. I'm shutting him up. Because he's fucking wrong. Goodbye. Well, I never expected to end one of these episodes talking about butter, so there you go. Um, next week's episode will be a little bit more in person as the holy man is coming back to the UK. Um, you have been warned. Um, not sure what we'll be talking about yet, but there will be beer and I'm sure there will be opinion. Uh, so make sure you tune in next week. Check out the playlist as ever uh, on Spotify and get in touch with us across the socials if you want to have an opinion or just basically have a dig at the holy man for not liking butter in a sandwich see you next week